never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that has been playing Wordle with the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening, along with me, as always, my brother, Peter. I'm here, and I'm happy to say that I actually don't get that one at all. Um, <laughs> okay. Like, I, I know what Wordle is vaguely, because I see it popping up on Facebook all the time, but I've never played it myself. And I'm aware of that TV show as well, but I still haven't watched it. So, <laughs> well, I haven't watched it either. But uh, the I'm a big fan of Kristen Bell's. I totally want to check it out. Um, and it's it's a movie, by the way, as opposed to a oh, show. Fair enough. <laughs> but um, but the uh, the big Wordle acquisition because the New York Times just bought Wordle, which um, I thought was an interesting thing. They actually that is apparently on the news, and then, um. And then that is the longest movie title, I honestly think, in the history of film. I could be wrong, <laughs> but I thought it would make for a funny opening. I don't, normally, ex- I don't normally explain the opening. Absolutely. But yeah. The uh, thing about Wordle is I keep seeing it come up on like my Facebook feed, but all it is is somebody's status will just say Wordle. And then it's a little like, you know, you have your little box with a bunch of colored little uh, squares and I kind of see it and I go, oh, I don't know what that is. And then I just <laughs> move on. Like, I haven't seen anything from the game to entice me to play it. You know, it's not like it's not like when Pokemon Go came out and I was just like, yeah, I want to go out and catch Pokemon and run around outside and stuff. It's just kind of like, oh, there's those weird squares again. I guess I'll just move on. <laughs> what blows my mind about the Wordle situation is that it the New York Times buys Wordle and it makes national news across the board it has no impact it doesn't inform the electorate it doesn't have any impact on gaming or like crazy company stock option nonsense but microsoft buys activision and then microsoft buys bethesda and it has huge impact for the gaming community and then this week sony buys bungie and you're just and it like has huge impact on the gaming industry and you have gamers all over the place losing their minds going, what does this mean for this game and that game and all that stuff? And the New York Times buys Wordle and the news is like, oh, my gosh, check it out. The New York Times bought Wordle. <laughs> well, I feel like we just went over our news segment, which is pretty cool. Yep. We can probably okay. go straight. Time for the, the list. list. Time for the list. Show's over. <laughs> no, I wonder if it's a case of like the New York, New York Times is part of the media. So it's just kind of the media promoting themselves sort of thing. And that's why. You're right. Like these gaming acquisitions are definitely much more impactful and honestly, probably <laughs> more interesting to talk about. But it's the New York Times, New York Times buying Wordle. So they're just like, yep, we're going to promote what we're doing <laughs> instead. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just weird to me. Anyway, 
Um, let's stop talking about Wordle because that is not why people are tuning in. Um, <laughs> let's talk about why we're here um, on all the stuff that we like. Um, I actually have a decent amount of watching reading. So um, why don't you uh, start with yours? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. I actually well, have first a really... Off, first off, let's paraphrase. The, we're going to talk about several trailers um, which we've <laughs> yeah. all watched, which we've all watched. So save those for the back end. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've also got a couple shows that I know you watched as well. So yeah. my watching and reading is actually super short. Um, okay. Joint the reviews. One, what's that? Joint reviews. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so the one, there's one movie I watched that I kind of wanted to suggest. Not that it's the greatest <laughs> movie, but it was just kind of a fun watch. And that is uh, Ted Bundy, American Boogeyman. Um, I think this is on, I think <laughs> right. this is on Hulu. And this is one of those things where, um, do you remember a couple of years ago, Netflix kept dropping like Ted Bundy stuff, and it was there's kind of this weird like Ted Bundy resurgence yeah, yeah, craze yeah. going on. They had the the Zac Efron movie released, and yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Like Netflix did the documentary series, and then there was the Zac Efron movie, and I was kind of one of those people who didn't watch the documentary series, and then I jumped into the Zac Efron movie, which I don't know if you've watched, Drew, but I don't know if I got that into it because it's one of those movies that kind of starts with Ted Bundy's trial and it has some like flashbacks to kind of give you the backstory and stuff but a lot of it just focuses on the trial and I kind of just didn't get as into it I kind of also think that I need to give it a maybe I need to give it a second watch because I wasn't able to pay attention super well the first time but something about the way that Zach Efron movie was filmed something about it like I don't know if it was the editing or the filming or the acting something like turned me off about it <laughs> and I was kind of in this mood where like I don't I'm kind of sick of hearing about Ted Bundy I kind of want to just move on past the uh, Ted Bundy craze but uh this Ted Bundy American boogeyman movie is just a movie that uh my wife put on the other night i think because it's on hulu and uh she's a huge fan of like uh one tree hill and uh chad michael murray <laughs> specifically and he plays ted bundy in this movie and it was one of those things that i thought it was going to go on and this isn't like a big mainstream movie it's kind of a little bit like i think it's a direct to dvd sort of movie but i was kind of pleasantly surprised with just how entertaining this movie was and this is like i said this isn't an amazing movie like this is not gonna win oscars it's not gonna win awards but it kind of takes the maybe beginning part of the ted bundy story that the zach efron movie doesn't focus on and kind of just turns the the acts of ted bundy traveling around the country and killing random people it kind of turns that into just kind of a really fun maybe kind of campy, but kind of just a really fun horror movie. And that's not really what I was expecting, was it to kind of just be super suspenseful and just kind of this messed up little horror movie. But the thing I can say about it is this movie kept me engaged the whole time. Um, it's not super like lore filled. Like I said, it's kind of just about like Ted Bundy going around and, uh, you know, hunting down victims. But uh, it was super entertaining. So I was really surprised with that. And it's one of those. Well, I'm not going to I was about to give away how it ends, but I won't do that in case anybody wants to watch it. But, yeah, that, that was a fun little flick. It was, like I said, not the greatest thing, but I was pleasantly surprised. Um, 
other than that, I've watched Vox Machina, which um, I um, or the legend of Vox Machina, Machina yeah. I guess I should say, which I'm pretty sure you've watched, Drew, as well. I, yeah, and, um, yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about that shortly. <laughs> I've, uh, I've also we'll do a joint review on that one. Yeah, I also watched the uh, season one premiere of Mandalorian. Oh, I mean, uh, Book of Boba Fett. I watched that as well. So <laughs> we'll talk yeah. about that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, that's about it for me. How about you? Um, all right, so yes, I watched Vox Machina. Yes, I watched Boba Fett. We'll push that off to the side. And yes, I watched a handful of trailers. The trailers will segue nicely into news, so we'll put those at the end. Um, the one thing I watched that you did not is I actually sat down and watched Encanto on Disney+. Plus. Oh, okay. Um, nice. When I watched the trailer for this movie, um, Encanto to me felt very – I've seen this movie. Um, it didn't feel like anything – New, it didn't feel like anything fresh. It just felt like I've seen this movie, and I felt like Disney was kind of phoning it in. Um, <laughs> what I will say, though, is that um, in the movie, the music is phenomenal, okay? There's no complaints there. The music's phenomenal. The score's phenomenal. The lyrics, all that stuff, the singing, dancing. I mean, the animation is amazing. It's top-notch Disney animation. It's great. Um, it's one of those things where, like, do you remember when Moana came out and we couldn't stop staring at the hair and, like, the graphics for the hair? Um, right. This is it's one of those things where like everything you're just staring at, like how they do it, like you're just like in awe at the animation. Mm-hmm. My biggest problem with the movie and to be honest, it does feel very it does not feel phoned in. It does not feel like I've seen this movie. My criticism of the movie is very. this plot holes that I think are a little unforgivable. <laughs> and I spent <laughs> segments of the movie asking myself the one this one question. Why? Um, which I've never asked myself with a Disney film before. And I literally was like, but who gives a shit? Like, (laughs) um, (laughs) like it's basically this family that has like superpowers and they're like, just being nice people and helping take care of like all the people in the village and assisting in any way possible and that kind of thing. And you think to yourself, okay, so cool. These people rely on the superheroes to like protect them and stuff. Well, the interesting thing is like the the character who's like your Hulk character is like out in the village and they're like, the donkeys are out, help us out. And she's like, I got it. But she's the only one doing anything. <laughs> and you're right. like, so you people are completely incapable of taking care of yourselves. Cause these other, like, cause this one family has <laughs> magical abilities. <laughs> I'm literally, I was watching like there's segments of the movie that I'm like, Holy cow. And then one of the characters, um, it's like, I don't want to call it their birthday, but it's kind of like a birthday celebration because the character is finding out what their superpower is. <laughs> and oh, okay, yeah. like there's this massive like town party festival thing. And I'm like, I feel like I'd be the one guy at home, like watching TV or like working on my house going, well, let me know what it is. Who cares? I don't have to be at the party. <laughs> like there were segments of the, there were segments of the movie that I'm like, but why? <laughs> Um, it's weird that uh it's weird that they would know like the specific day that your superpowers would show up though oh well yeah and i hear you there that's all written in the that's all written in the the movie okay and, and that kind of makes sense that kind of answers some questions but um and then the uh the grandmother is the one who's like the one that introduced all the magic and superpowers to the family like you you find out the backstory where she got the power and then it was bestowed upon her children and grandchildren and so on and in the movie, the grandmother, she's like kind of like the linchpin, I guess, that got the power. So she's the most concerned about losing the power. 
And because of some of the decisions she makes, she's very emperor like. <laughs> and I say oh. that in, and I say that in the sense of like, you know, when Star Wars talks about the Sith became so powerful or like Darth Plagueis became so powerful, he eventually started to fear losing the power. <laughs> Her character kind of takes that turn, not in a dark way, but in like this is kind of like emperor esque. And your animation, you look like the emperor without the hood on. <laughs> like it's <laughs> like it's just kind of, it's just kind of weird. It's an interesting watch. Um, like I said, the music and stuff is phenomenal. So by all, by all means, there's no complaints about that. I just the, I found the movie very weird. But it yeah. it does sound weird. It reminds me of um, Drew. I've, I'm sure you've seen this where like in uh, like you'll be reading a Superman comic book and there'll be like this one like splash page or something and it'll show like it'll be like Clark Kent has to build a new house or a new barn or something for his parents so he it's like this one shot of the house being erected and it has Superman like basically running around as fast as possible like building this huge apparatus or building or whatever sure. does that make sense yeah and so and so it's like a bunch of shots of Superman but you know he's going around and building it really fast it kind of sounds like they turned that concept into a movie <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's just because of the field plowing part that you talked about but yeah it sounds yeah sounds just weird so i'm well i'm kind of curious they, about this one in a weird way like they all have they all have some kind of superpower that benefits so like the one girl controls plant life right so like when you're dealing with like crops and stuff she can like grow stuff for people or like flowers and you know that kind of stuff and the one girl's got super strength and you know she's like all right that makes sense when you're dealing with like you know helping someone build their house or like you know that kind of stuff and then one of the characters is a shapeshifter. I don't know how that benefits the society at all. I, <laughs> you know, like, like, and I, I think there's some degree of them going, well, that's a cute trick. Let's do that. Like, it was just weird. Um, mm. I think they were, it was like, let's make the X-Men, but make them this ethnic family, you know, and go with that and see how it lands. And it just, like I said, the music is great. The animation is great. The rest of it's just kind of like had me questioning why. <laughs> um, it's funny because you've like reviewed this full movie and I still don't know what the plot is. <laughs> you know, it's I'm curious if you know what the plot is. <laughs> the plot is all about family. <laughs> okay. The plot is all about family and you know loving each other and all that stuff. It's it. I feel like the twist in it is very similar to like the Frozen twist, uh, where you find right. out true love is actually the love between the sisters as opposed to the love between the girl and the boy and that kind of nonsense. Mm -hmm. Um. All right. Let's talk about other cooler things. Um, let's talk about Boba Fett first. Um, yes, Boba Fett, uh, episode five was essentially the first episode of Mandalorian season three. Uh, <laughs> welcome back, Din Djarin, to the show, Mandalorian. Um, what a cool episode. Um, the opening of the episode was amazing. Uh, walking into that, like, Star Wars meatpacking plant. Um, yeah. With the Clactoonans and, uh. He, uh, you know, going to town, like pulling out the dark saber and all that stuff. That was amazing. Uh, then going to the other, finding out that the armor is still alive and that one uh, heavy uh, Mandalorian trooper is still alive, um, yeah. and battling out over the dark saber, and then him like being shunned away because he took his helmet off. Um, then we get back to Tatooine and we get to see Amy Amy Sedaris's character. I, I still I can't remember her name. That's fine, but she hooks him up with a new ship. Now, this is where the episode got really exciting for me. This is heavy, heavy episode one reference. Yeah. Um, 
because first off, that's an N1 starfighter from Naboo. It's uh, one of the starfighters that um, escorted uh, Queen Amidala's starfighter out of Naboo. And then you actually saw it in episode two, uh, Sen- uh, Padme actually flew one. Um, and they landed on Coruscant in the opening of the movie and got ex- and got blown up. So those are cool ships to begin with. I always thought they were a cool design. Yeah, absolutely. They rebuild it. And then he goes and tests the ship in the pod race arena, like the course, the <laughs> racetrack yeah. pod race arena, like legit full on, like, wow, that's the actual pod race, like course. He does the thing and he gets all the way to the end. And she's like, what do you think? And he call and he goes wizard, which is such an episode <laughs> one callback. Like, of course, he's going to say that. That's amazing. I laughed out loud when he said wizard. Um, and then, uh, and then when he was out in space and he's like flying around and if you notice, he does the spinning trick that Anakin did. Um, okay. Right. Anakin was flying the N1 and I was like, God, that's awesome. Like all these episode one callbacks, it was just cool. Um, (laughs) yeah. And then obviously the X-Wing space cops, uh, came to to try and arrest him or pull him over or whatever. Can you pull over? You're driving too fast. (laughs) Like, um, I think another head nod to the fact that we got Rangers of the New Republic coming. But overall, I thought the episode was great, and it was a great segue. Um, we got two more episodes of Boba Fett coming, so I'm sure we're not going to get to see him ride the Rancor until the following, to the final episode. But we'll see how it plays out. <laughs> so, what do you think, man? Yeah, those, are, uh, those are my hard. big takeaways, by the way. So, <laughs> it's honestly with this one, it's hard to uh, know even what to say after your description because you touched on most of it um i did think it was funny the uh you said it was an n1 is the ship's name the yeah, uh, I, I just know it as oh keep going no go ahead it's an n1 starfighter but n1 n stands for naboo so i believe it's i believe that's yeah go ahead right and that's and that's kind of just how i knew it was like a naboo starfighter or whatever just from episode one but when that thing was still kind of like under the uh, blankets or sheet or whatever before um amy sedaris's character revealed what it was it honestly looked like a pod racer to me like she was walking jar and over to it like i've got your replacement ship and then i'm like a pod racer (laughs) like what is he gonna do with that and then she pulled it off as like oh this is getting interesting um and it was a great sort of like rebuilding montage that they had um that whole that whole sequence was really cool um i i just really enjoyed this this episode it was fun to uh catch up with the mandalorian and stuff like that i was a little bit disappointed just because i've been enjoying um the book of boba fett so much and i kind of just wanted to know how you know, Boba, Boba Fett stuff was pro- progressing, but no, overall, I thought it was a good episode. It was really cool. Um, you just said there's two episodes left because I wasn't yeah. sure. It's a seven so, episodes. It's a seven episode season. So that was episode okay. five. We got episode six and seven. Um, one of the things when they said at the end of episode four, Boba Fett said we need muscle. I was expecting them to go get the Wookiee and hire the Wookiee. I was oh, not ex- I was not expecting them to go get Din Djarin. So and then <laughs> so that was that's just awesome. <laughs> yeah, so. absolutely. Um, oh, and, yeah, then, and then and then what did they make? What did they what did the armor make out of the spear for baby for Grogu? Like what what she make? Like, I can't wait to find out what that is. And we probably won't get to find out until the Mandalorian season three starts. But you're absolutely right. That's actually a really good detail. And this is a thing where, like, I watched this episode like a week ago and I kind of that part of the episode kind of slipped in my memory, but I'm really curious too. Like, what did they make? Um, 
yeah, that'll be really interesting to see. So yeah, good call. Um, so yeah, I'll, I mean, I assume you liked it as much as I did and that's kind of like, I don't really know what else to say about that. That's, um, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at. I just, I'm glad that there's two episodes left because for some reason I thought it might be an only six episode season. <laughs> so I thought oh. we were already on the, like, I thought next week might be the last one, which I was kind of going to be upset about, but no, that's awesome. There's still two episodes. So right here on. we go. <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about Vox Machina or the legend of Vox Machina, the, uh, critical role cartoon based on the, uh, based on a seg section, a section of critical roles campaign one, um, which follows the, uh, characters from the adventuring group Vox Machina. What did you think? So, yeah, this is another one. It's hard to know where to start, but, um, I can say I, I'm really, really loving the show so far. Um, I kind of, I think the show is what I expected, but I think it's just everything's been executed so well. Like, I think they really, before the show came out, I mentioned on the podcast once that I kind of hope that they capture that feeling of sitting down around a table and actually playing a uh, Dungeons and Dragons campaign with a, with a group of friends where you're going to have your badass action parts and you're going to have your your suspenseful parts, but you're also going to have a lot of just jokes and uh, friendly, hilarious banter and stuff. And I think the show really has captured that feeling really well. Um, I'm actually one of my favorite parts of it is how they can pretty seamlessly go from the like really crazy, cool action scenes you know, and then go straight to the crazy, uh, I guess, humor scenes or bits or gags or whatever. But overall, I'm just really loving it. Um, for the most part, all the characters I'm thinking are really cool. I think the first two episodes kind of I can see how like like the first two episodes kind of tell a story, but then it kind of just bleeds straight into the next story they're telling in the next episode and the episodes after that. But I think the first two episodes, I was actually pretty impressed because it's one of those things where they make you think, you know, where they're going with their plot line. And then they kind of turn some things on their head. And uh, I don't know. I think they did a good job of like, I'm trying not to give you give too much away, but there's like a twist that happens that you think you see the twist coming and then something completely different comes, if that makes sure. sense. And I was actually really impressed with that. Um, Drew, I don't know. I feel like I'm being super vague about this. Is there any like no, specific like, things you want to point out about the show or whatever? Well, so that's the thing, because I so I'm a big fan of Critical Role. I just I'm a huge fan of what those guys are doing over there. And, you know, I've been following this show. Um, I started I started keeping up with them near the tail end of campaign one and I missed a lot of campaign one. Uh, I just started listening to the podcast and I was like, this is good. Like I just got kind of caught up really late in. And then I listened to the, I, I paid I watched the entirety of campaign two. I'm into campaign three. And when you watch the show, I mean, it's basically a group of friends sitting down and playing Dungeons and Dragons, but they're all professional voice actors. And What's cool about that is almost like watching a television show, like you're sitting down and watching like an hour long drama. Now, these are like their episodes are like four hours. So I got to watch it over a couple of days. I can't just sit for four hours like my life. I would if I could, but my life is not going <laughs> to take that. So I watch it like I watch and I'll pause and I'll come back and continue the episode. Um, but 
what's interesting about watching their show is it's almost like watching. So the critical role show proper, it's almost like watching a television show, but you also get to see at the same time you're watching the show, all of the behind the scenes stuff at the same time. And it's almost like watching the show being built to final product as you watch it. And from a, filmmaker writer standpoint it's been really kind of like it's just interesting to watch and it's really impressive to see how it all unfolds and the speed at the improv and everything is just incredible um the uh it's just they're very very skilled people um when yeah you look at a show like vox machina and how they put that together um aside from the aside from the kickstarter making waves and then moving into the production side of things this is a television show that is creator made creator controlled, creator written, creator executed, creator acted, you know, the whole nine, like they are a hundred percent involved in a way that most people aren't. It's, it's almost like the cast of critical role is the modern day George Lucas. If that makes, if that, if that <laughs> okay. analogy makes sense, just to, in the contrast to compare, um, the, the show as a whole, I've been following the production of it. And if you go onto YouTube there's a series, it's like five, like 15 minute short videos that show all the making of process of the Vox Machina cartoon. Um, and I watched all those before the show and I was just all excited to see the, sh the final product. And I was beyond like pleased. And like you start laughing within the first couple minutes because you got that adventuring party and then they get destroyed by the dragon really fast. <laughs> and they're like, well, who else do we got? You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a really funny line when um, Vox Machina is talking to um, they're talking to the uh, royal family about, you know, like, hey, we'll go and kill the dragon. And they're like, well, can you let's just see if the assassins of whatever can help instead. And someone calls in the background. Um, the leader of them just got their hand cut off in the bar from a bar battle, a bar yeah. battle. And it's because of Vox Machina cut the guy's hand off. <laughs> yeah, um, that's just that, that was such a funny callback joke for like just a couple minutes ago kind of thing. Um the voice acting's top notch, but it's the it's the actors who played the characters, which is great. And it's kind of fun because even though I watch the show, so I know who plays what, I watch the show and I can hear the voices. It's awesome. Um, and then they got all, and then Matt who DMs and has done all the NPCs for the, um, for the actual gaming session, he's only doing a handful of NPCs for the show, and he, they brought in big name voice actors for several of the big name. NPCs, mm -hmm. which is really cool. So it's not just Matt; they're bringing in other people as well. I just <laughs> I like think... how you're calling them NPCs. <laughs> well, <laughs> but uh, no, I actually you understand what I mean, though. Like it's such a hard, you know. <laughs> that's that's one thing I've actually really been enjoying um, is the voice acting. Like obviously, because of what this show is, you knew the voice acting was going to be great. But I think it's just really blown my expectations out of the water like it's been awesome i've noticed like certain voice actors it's kind of weird because i don't know a lot of voice actors names but some of them i really know their voices like uh the voice actor who plays the king like i've definitely heard that guy's voice and a lot of other things and that's pretty awesome um and i especially like um as far as the main like vax machina group the guy who plays uh vax i think his voice is like just really really cool <laughs> like would, like he just has a great voice to listen to so that's awesome but no keep going i just that's... wanted to throw my voice acting tidbits in there i guess <laughs> 
Max is uh, Liam, Liam O'Brien, and he's 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 a really good voice actor. Like just in general, like even when you listen to him do, when you watch, because what's cool about what's what's interesting about, I mean, yes, okay, when you play Dungeons and Dragons, you create a character and then you play that character, and these people when they play their game, it's televised, so they're whatever voice they create for their character, they speak in that voice, so like they're always in character unless it's the table talk part of. Them. You know, so if they're speaking as their character, they're in character. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's played three different characters and you can hear like this, the inflection and the range. It's it's really cool to hear all of them. Um, so, yeah, but it's it's such a cool uh, it's such a cool thing. And then uh, Scandalin, um, the uh, the bard, um, his songs, uh, what's cool about the songs is when you in campaign in campaign one, if you watched the Vox Machina campaign. Yeah. He at the table, it was all parodies, all the music that he did, because it was like, well, what does the song sound like? And he's like, well, I pull up the guitar and I play. And it was always parodies of like pop songs, you know, <laughs> and stuff. But because they were doing the show, he wrote for every time he has to have like a spell or use the guitar for an attack and have a song. He wrote a song for every single one for the show. So That's I, great. I can't wait to hear more uh more of the music that he gets to do just because it'll be different than what i'm familiar with so (laughs) (laughs) absolutely i I actually i for some reason i couldn't remember the bard's name but uh no his like i'm kind of on the fence with whether or not i like the character or not (laughs) like i'm kind of at the point where i'm like i think i like this character but this at the same time i don't know if he's just a touch too obnoxious but uh his songs have been really hilarious. And I like, I think it's one of the first songs he sings where he like, it's like your normal, like your typical dungeons and dragons, like bard sort of song. But then he like, all of a sudden it switches over and it becomes like a hip hop song for a couple bars and then goes back to like the regular thing. And like, this is pretty hilarious. And I think that's, I think that just really goes back to what I'm loving about this show is it's like, it feels like just a really cool, badass, like action, like animated series, but it has like the humor and it just has the relatability of like, if this was a group of me and my friends, this is probably, probably how we would be acting. And I'm just really enjoying that, you know? Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's weird. Like when I finished the three episodes, I know there's more coming, but when I finished the three episodes, I was left with this. We needed this. Yeah. Like, who knew that we needed this? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I totally needed this show. Like, this is amazing. (laughs) So Absolutely. um, So, yeah, anyway, though, I definitely will have more to say on Vox Machina as the series progresses, but I'm glad you enjoyed the show. Um, I recommend everybody check it out. I will say it's a very adult show, so keep that in mind if you let younger ones watch, but it is very adult. Um, So, um, but, yeah, let's talk about these trailers. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Watch that. Listen to that one first. I'll uh, talk about that one first. Um, what do you think of the trailer? <laughs> well, the biggest surprise was um, I, w- I was shocked that it was not. It's a Netflix movie. <laughs> oh, OK. I was like, I really thought it was going to be a theatrical thing, but uh, it's pretty cool that Netflix is doing it because I'm probably going to watch it the weekend it comes out as opposed to, you know, maybe watching it some long time later after it comes out, you know, um, Texas Chainsaw is like, I'm a decent horror fan, but this isn't a series that I've ever like been obsessed with. You know, I've seen a couple entries, but I haven't like seen every Texas Chainsaw movie, but, uh, this movie looks like a lot of fun. Um, I think I kind of like, I don't know. 
this I don't know I don't know really how to put in into words, but I think this new Texas Chainsaw movie looks better than the last few entries in the series that I've seen at least. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that, and I feel like part of that is uh, they said that it's the same people who brought you The Evil Dead and uh, Don't Breathe. I I think which yeah. is I thought was pretty interesting, and it makes me wonder if. Uh, Sam Raimi is a producer on this film because I know he was a producer on the, uh, of course, on the Evil Dead reboot. But I think he was a producer on Don't Breathe as well. But I think with whoever from those movies is involved, I think that whoever's doing those have like a really good way of making just a really just really good, relatable horror movie that you can like take seriously, you know, I guess if that makes sense. So yeah. I don't know. Well, I think this, I don't have too much to say. I just think this looks good. You know, <laughs> I don't have much to say about it either. And I, and I, when I saw that there was another one coming, I was like, do we really need to talk about this in the show? And then I watched the trailer. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen the original and I saw the Jessica Biel uh, one. Yes. Uh, yeah. Those are the only two versions of the Texas Chainsaw series I've seen. I don't feel I need to see any more. However, what made me really interested in this one is that it's the girl that survived the original coming back. And oh, okay. you know what I mean? Like it, it really like jumped back to the original film and carried the weight of that. So it's the I've been waiting X number of years to, you know, see him again because I want to kill him and, you know, that kind of thing. And they're like, who? And she's like Leatherface. And then it kind of goes from there. Um so I don't know like how quick I'm going to rush to see it, but I thought that was really, really interesting and worth talking about because I wasn't expecting that at all. I was expecting, oh, here's another Texas Chainsaw Massacre trailer, you know, here's, here's, <laughs> yeah, here's another one. Here's another one to the series. And then they and then when I found out, I'm like, oh, wait, but that's the girl from the original one that survived. I'm like, oh, that's amazing that they did that. You know, I just yeah, it was, well, I was not expected from me. So. Yeah, I, I didn't even pick up on that, which is kind of maybe I wasn't paying it enough attention while watching it, which is kind of uh, <laughs> bad, bad on me sort of thing. But I think I kind of agree in that, like, I'm more I'm excited to watch this one because I think and I don't know if it's the actors they chose or the way it's filmed, but it looks like it's going to be a lot more fun and a lot cooler to watch than some of the Texas Chainsaw sequels. And I think. I don't really know how to put my finger on it, but I feel like when it shows the sort of uh, group of like teenage protagonists in this film, you didn't get the feeling that they were just, you know, giving you a bunch of fodder for Leatherface to just run through and kill like they I mean, these characters didn't talk a lot in this and stuff in the trailer, but I think they somehow portrayed that these are going to be actual characters that you're going to care about when they die. And sure. these aren't going to just be, you know these useless teenagers that you honestly don't care about at all, <laughs> which I'm a big fan of. So I guess that's kind of what I was trying to put into words earlier. Sure. <laughs> I guess I still failed at that just now. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, the trailer for project Gemini. what do you think of that? This one, this one I stumbled on this afternoon and I told you to watch it because I thought it was interesting looking. What do you think? <laughs> this looks cool to me. Um, I really like that the trailer to me feels really vague because I don't know, I don't know what direction they're going to go with, uh, in this movie. And there's even parts of the trailer that kind I feel like they hint at like where they might be going, but I don't know if those are kind of just, uh, things that they put in to, uh, you know, to get you off the, the track, because this is a movie that 
I'm kind of assuming it's kind of this expedition to find a new place for humanity that to inhabit sort of thing. Like the earth is probably gone to crap because of, you know, climate issues, et cetera. And they're going out into space to find a new planet to inhabit or whatever. And I think from the trailer, I don't know if this is going to be, and if if you have any plot points to add that you picked up under, you can definitely uh, comment on that. But to me, like, I don't know if this is going to be a crazy survival story i don't know if there's going to be like aliens introduced and this is going to be like a creature feature i'm not really sure where they're they're gonna go and i have the feeling that we've really only seen you know bits of like maybe the first third of the movie and because i don't know where they're going it's just making me really excited because this looks good i just don't know what it's about and that's kind of what i love so yeah so uh, it's what's interesting is everyone who just listened to you say that is like, I don't know what this movie's about. <laughs> um, I'm going to say this. Neither do we. Um, the trailer, I mean, essentially from the trailer, it's, it's a space horror film that to me felt like someone watched Event Horizon and said, we need to make another movie about horror in outer space. And Event Horizon was amazing. Let's try and capture that and do something new with a space horror thing. Um, I, yeah. I totally got the Event Horizon vibes from it. Um, but it just made me go, this looks cool, and I got to see it. Um, yeah. I, I really don't know what to say about it because of how vague the trailer was. But it was enough. there was enough in that trailer to make me go, ooh, I have to see this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I wish more trailers were like this, like where you just didn't know what was going on. Um, and well, the biggest reason I I brought up. Oh, well, we'll keep going. <laughs> well, I was just going to say we talked about this last week about how like because last week we were talking about movies from 1993. And there was a point in our lives where you watched the trailer and you said, that's cool. I'm going to go to the theater and see that or that's cool. I'm going to I'm going to watch that. And now so much of it is sequels, reboots, remakes, Marvel, Star Wars, D.C., <laughs> yeah you know what i mean it's yeah. sequels reboots remakes marvel star wars dc that's the movies you get now um because it's this the level of originality is not as there as is and i, I watched this trailer and it felt yes i did re- reference the fact that i feel like someone watched event horizon and wanted to make a new space horror film but there's nothing wrong with drawing inspiration this just felt new do you know and yeah absolutely new and original just a breath of fresh air kind of situation um, even Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a sequel reboot remake, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just, that's, that was my point. So go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say earlier. Um, no, the reason I did bring up, like, I don't know if this is going to have like a alien, like creature feature sort of angle is because there is the one shot of the trailer where uh, the characters I'm assuming are on some uh, alien planet that they found. And uh, there's this the this character who's like going through a tunnel and uh it's one of those things where his face kind of looks freaked out and it's kind of like a close-up shot of his face like while he's in this tunnel and you hear a noise in the background that kind of sounds like a creature growling or something like that but then and that kind of like i i half expected the next shot to be some giant monster like chasing these characters around or something like that but that didn't happen in this trailer and it kind of made me I don't know. It just made me think, like, is there going to be like a creature angle to this or was that just like a red herring? You know, is this just something to throw you off base? And 
I kind of really like again. I just love that we don't know what this movie is gonna be, but it just looks good. <laughs> so that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. All right, let's talk about Halo. Um, the trailer for the Halo series, the full trailer for the Halo series, uh, has dropped. Um, what did you think? Because I have a, I'm gonna go on a rant a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, you can go on the on the rant because I don't have a lot to say. I just. Honestly, I think this looks good. I know I know there's certain aspects to this trailer that people online have been complaining about. Um, a lot of people think that uh, Cortana looks a little whack, <laughs> however you want to phrase it, which I kind of could agree with that a little bit. But overall, I think this trailer looks badass. Um, I'm not like a huge Halo lore nerd, I guess, so I don't have a lot of opinions on that. I just think... Like, the Master Chief looks awesome. Uh, the set work looks amazing. The, uh, you know, all the alien stuff they've shown, like, the elites just look so freaking cool. Like, it just, like, it all looks good to me for the most part. So I don't have too much to say. I'm just excited, you know. Uh, what did you want to say about so this? So here's the thing. <laughs> so we talked about how um, they had already made the announcement that they were going to have to stray a little bit from canon and make some adjustments because they're taking a first-person shooter video game and having to adapt it to the screen. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they have to take a couple... They're going to have to take a little bit of liberties to make an adjustment for the adaptation. I completely understand adaptation of video game to screen is going to have to be adjusted. So... There's a little bit of canon stuff that I have a feeling are going to be a little different and I'm willing to roll with and I'll throw them the bone and say, run with it. Let's see where you go. Um, so there's a couple lines of dialogue that have me questioning, like uh, when Halsey talked about the Spartans being controlled. I don't know if Salsey ever wanted to control the Spartans the way the trailer makes her seem. Because mm. um, she in the games and the books, she always talked about the Spartans like being her children and I don't know if she looked at him as an issue of control so much as a, no, I created these soldiers. They're my children, you know, and treats them as such. Yeah. Um, so I never I never got that malicious intent that the trailer made it seem like. The other line of dialogue that bothered me was at the end when Chief says, um, find the halo, win the war. And I'm like, no, finding the halo is a bad thing. Or we got to find the halo and destroy <laughs> the halo. Like, I feel like that line was speaking to the fact that you as a showrunners think the audience is dumb and you have to oh, be wow. smarter than the audience. Like, I felt like the, it, that line rubbed me the wrong way. Like, you guys don't <laughs> understand the assignment. Yeah. Um, the big thing, the visuals look phenomenal. Okay? Yeah. You watch this trailer and as a Halo fan, everything is there that you want to see and everything looks correct. Awesome. Big thumbs up. A plus to you guys. Nice work. The thing that I am not going to forgive and it's, and it's and and I did some digging and some research and found an actual reason as to why this is. And it pisses me off because it's a huge cop out. You guys got it wrong and you're going to continuously get backlash. And I don't know if it'll ever sit right to me. And that is Master Chief's voice is not correct. And this is my rant. You have you see Cortana in the trailer. Cortana is not a hologram. I mean, she kind of looks like a hologram, but it's clearly a live action person that you guys made look like a hologram. You could have made her look more like a hologram, but I'll let it go. That's Cortana's <laughs> voice. You brought Jen Taylor back to do Cortana's voice. OK, you didn't bring Steve Downs back to do the Master Chief's voice. Here's what I got to say to that. If you're going to unmask the Master Chief and actually see his face, 
fine. But when that helmet's on, it should be Steve Down's voice. And the reason I say that is because the stunt guy wearing the suit, because we all know it's a stunt guy in a suit until you take the helmet off, doesn't have to talk. You need Steve Down's voice in that role. If Darth Vader is on screen, it's James Earl Jones's voice. Yeah. They don't do Darth Vader without James Earl Jones's voice. I'm sorry. I don't care who's wearing the suit. I don't care if you take the mask off and see a different face. If the helmet's on, it's Darth. It's James Earl Jones's voice. Steve Downs plays Master Chief. Get it right. It's a different voice. This is why I'm angry about that. There's an article, uh, Screen Rant posted this. Um, While on a surface, the recast may seem an affront to longtime Master Chief voice actor Steve Downs, the controversial decision actually has very easy explanation. Put simply, Downs is too old. Um, Bullshit. Um, It's been hinted (laughs) that the Halo TV series will break the biggest Master Chief tradition by actually revealing the character's face, and unfortunately, Downs' face doesn't fit the bill. At the age of 71, his features simply aren't compatible with the super soldier. Um, He's got a helmet on, and he's talking through a computer-synthesized voice box that's altering his voice. It's okay that the voice doesn't match when he has the helmet on versus the helmet off. Cop on, (laughs) Okay. If the, yeah, Halo TV, if the Halo TV show does indeed show the Master Chief's face, something that has been never done before, the series simply can't use Downs' voice without the character's lines being dubbed. Um, no, helmet off, normal actor playing the character, helmet on, Steve Downs' voice. Sorry, guys, you got that wrong. Which often breaks viewers' immersion. No, it won't. Recasting the role is actually a sensible tactic, allowing a younger actor to more naturally step into the role, which will, by indications, be incredibly physical. Nope, it'll be a stunt guy. Despite the reasons recasting of the role, early reactions to the Halo TV series Master Chief reveal the overwhelmingly good indication that the team behind the show knows what the fans want. No, we want Steam Down's voice. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Down's role <laughs> being recast might seem harsh when considering that Jen Taylor is returning as Cortana, but the nature of the characters and the direction of the show appear to be taking actually allows Taylor to return where Downs cannot. This is largely due to the fact that Cortana being an artificial intelligence, meaning that only her voice will be used for the role. I'm sorry, cop out again. Of course, Cortana has to be Jen Taylor because Jen Taylor voices Cortana. Steve Downs is the voice of Master Chief. It's like the James Earl Jones, Darth Vader thing. I'm sorry. Um, This allows for Taylor to convincingly return in a way that Steve Downs simply cannot. What? And while it may not seem like it, it's actually Halo, the Halo show's best possible fan service. Um, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I 100% disagree with every single thing they said. Um, and I have no problem going on record saying that. You guys really don't know how to do it right. And that really kind of irritates me that those statements were made. Jen Taylor can come back for this reason, but Steve Downs can't. Look at Star Wars. Sorry. James Earl Jones is still alive. They're going to continuously use James Earl Jones for Darth Vader, period. Like, we have a Kenobi show coming where Hayden Christensen is going to be in a suit as Darth Vader. I'm willing to bet you anything James Earl Jones does the voice of Darth Vader when we see the Kenobi show. Yeah. <laughs> That's where yeah, I said it. I'm going to be in the seat. I'm going to watch Halo. I can't wait for it. I'm very excited. But I really, I can't, it's so hard to get over that piece. And I know it's a stupid thing to whine and moan about, but seriously, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, it it is, but it isn't. And I definitely understand where you're coming from. And I think I agree with you 100% on that. I think, like, uh, I don't have as many chips in the game necessarily, but I definitely <laughs> sure. think you're right on um, in this case. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
I'm still excited about it too, but, um, yeah, I definitely understand, uh, all those criticisms. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Halo uh, premieres on March 24th on the Paramount plus network. Um, so it looks like I have to get a Paramount plus, uh, thing. Um, okay. Um, quick news is very light. So let's hit it quick. Cause we all want to get to the list and discuss that. <laughs> nice. First off, uh, mortal Kombat sequel has been greenlit. Um, so we're getting another Mortal Kombat movie, um, hoping okay. they've learned some from the mistakes and got better, you know, where sometimes the sequel, you're like, well, that's what I wanted from the beginning, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. You're, yeah, you're, it'll, go ahead. I think I'm just kind of hoping for the same thing. I think <laughs> the first, this last Mortal Kombat movie that we got hit the mark in a lot of ways, mostly sort of visuals, I guess. But yeah, I feel like I'm hoping for a better story and um, I'm hoping to know what's really going on with the main character. I know we discussed this when the movie came out, but that main character I think is just a made up guy still. <laughs> so <laughs> We're going to see what happens with that character, right. I guess. Right. Um, all right. Jason Momoa is reportedly in talks to join Fast and the Furious 10. Um, of course he is. <laughs> of course he is. And of course this is a thing. And I read that story and went, yep, that makes sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> Absolutely. Like there wasn't, a, I'm like, yep, that makes sense. Um, uh, Netflix, uh, is this Netflix? Yes. Live action masters of the universe film for Netflix has, uh, found it's He-Man. Um, okay. it's the actor is uh, Kyle Allen. Um, he is, currently known for his role in uh west side story i don't really know him from anywhere because i haven't seen west side story yet um so just looking at him picture to he-man i mean sure why not i guess i'm just looking at the picture of his face going yeah okay um but uh netflix is doing live action master of the universe and we'll see how that plays out he, he's uh i just looked him up on imdb he's a lot younger than i would have or younger looking than i would have expected but I mean, if he bulks up, I mean, why not? And you have to remember, he's got to play Prince Adam as well. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess, that's, I, yeah, that's he why. definitely could, could work, you know. That's kind of like I was like, all right, why not? Um, and let's hope it's let's hope it's more uh, accurate to the show than the original live action He-Man. That would be cool, too. So, yeah, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> no cosmic key. And uh, what's his name? Uh, what's that guy's name? Uh it wasn't Quark. What was it? Yeah, there's. I I what think I know who you're talking about, but like the, the Orca like replacement guy. guy. What, what was that guy's name? <laughs> I don't. I don't remember. I just know they added a lot of. Yeah, and they don't need to come characters. To Earth. They don't need to come to Earth, and we don't need Courtney Cox back. Like certain things just don't need to happen. <laughs> okay. Um, James Gunn had a comment about Guardians of the Galaxy three, and. I want people to understand when I read this, I feel like the, the article is taken out of context and I don't want people to freak out. James Gunn says Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is the last time people will see this team. OK, OK. So does that mean this is the final Guardians of the Galaxy or does this mean they all die? Here's the thing. I read a little bit more into this quote and basically he's saying this is the last time you're going to see this team as it is, which says to me some characters might die. But if there is more Guardians of the Galaxy, it won't be this lineup of characters or it'll be. A yeah, that's kind of what I assumed by it. And, I, and, you know, you have people out there that take some of this stuff very seriously. And you see these inter articles on the Internet like <laughs> James Gunn says they're going to kill off Guardians of the Galaxy. That's not how I took that article at all. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> pay attention to what you're reading. Um, all right. Uh, a script for Joker 2 is currently done, turned into Warner Brothers, and it's eyeing a 2023 production start. Um, That's awesome. So I guess we're getting a Joker 2. Uh, so the the real question is, has Willem Dafoe received his copy of that script yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, here's your Oscar. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I really want a sequel to it. Not that the other one, because I loved that movie so much. I just felt it was such a good standalone thing. Yeah, that's you're right. I feel if we do another Joker movie, it has to have Batman in it. I don't know if you can do another Joker without Batman. I really don't. So we'll see what plays out. Um, but that movie was so good. Um, okay. Absolutely. Speaking of the Batman, uh, Matt Reeves says the Batman will not cover Bruce Wayne's origin story because it's been done too much. Um, he said, we've seen it too many times. It's been done too much. I knew we couldn't do that, which is awesome to me. Um, I always felt like in terms of the comic book code, it could be just in dialogue. My parents were shot. Yeah, you know what I mean, like it doesn't you don't need to see the flashback. It could be one line of dialogue. I mean, think about how they covered uh, Peter Parker's origin um, in the MCU when they got when they finally put Spider-Man in the MCU. Yep. It was really, dude, how do you get your powers? I got bit by a spider and I got powers. I don't know. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? It's, they just covered it real fast because we all know. So, and the same thing. And in, um, in, even though I wasn't the biggest fan of Spider-Man Homecoming, they did have a line of dialogue about uh uncle ben in that movie and i actually thought that was handled really well where we didn't have to go back and see uncle ben's death again you know uh peter parker just mentioned it uh in the movie in dialogue and i thought that was handled really well actually so yeah they yeah. definitely could do something like that they do have to i feel like they have to address batman's origin but i hope that it's through quick's line quick lines of dialogue yeah, you know? it just it needs to be fast it doesn't need to be anything more and we do all know it um, but the comic book code states any random issue of any comic book is potentially someone's first comic book. So you have to have some semblance of where things began. You know what I mean? And if yeah. you need a really good example, I mean, Spider-Man does it really well. Spider-Man does it really well. Superman, Batman, they all do it really well. They're mentioning Krypton, the spider bite, Bruce Wayne's parents. Another one that does it really well is the Red Hood and the Outlaws. Uh, which is uh, Jason Todd, Red Hood, Arsenal, and Starfire from DC. Um, they'll, the, the issue will start, and then there'll always be these internal monologues. My name is Jason Todd. I was originally Robin. I was with the second Robin behind Dick Grayson. And it's like literally just a couple lines, and then it'll be still his internal monologue, and you'll see Arsenal just beating the hell out of someone. He'll be like, that over there is Roy Harper, call sign Arsenal. You know, yeah. a Arsenal, you know, <laughs> former Green Arrow sidekick. And it's like tiny stuff that just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, I got you. You know what I mean? It's like almost every if it's not every issue, it's every other issue that they remind you. It's just there because every issue could be someone's first. So absolutely. Um. All right. On the same road as Batman. Last piece of bit. Like I said, news was very light today. Um. Robert Pattinson says there's never been a bad Batman movie. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which made me laugh because I was like, have you seen all the Batman movies? Have you seen Batman and Robin? Um, <laughs> but his quote is really interesting. He says, none of them are bad movies. People kind of shit on some of them, but they're not actually bad. They're all kind of they're all kind of completely achieve what they set out to achieve. And they're all really interesting according to their time and place. Um, which you and I have 
there's look, there's goods and bads about literally every movie, period. But when we've talked about Batman in the in, in general, um, there's some like I don't feel like the Schumacher films are aging the way they should age. Like the Michael Keaton ones are aging really, really well. You know what I mean? When you go back and look at stuff like that. But the Schumacher ones are not aging as well. But you pointed <laughs> out to me, you pointed out to me that it was like Schumacher was trying to do modern day Batman 66 and no one realized it. And it's made that's that's, me, that's my I guess that's my theory. Like, I, I don't have a Schumacher quote, but that's how I've been interpreting it. Yeah. The last few years, you know, but it's made me re look at um, that movie in a new light. And it makes me like kind of want to rewatch it with that mindset. <laughs> I, I really do. It makes me want to yeah. watch it with that mindset and go, oh, he was doing Batman 66 and no one saw it as opposed to all of us going, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, However, I can't forgive the getting bad girl's origin wrong. He's she has no relation to Alfred whatsoever. She's Commissioner Gordon's daughter, period. <laughs> yeah, know? absolutely. But I do know that some of the character relationships were a little askew in uh, Batman 66 as well. Um, but, yeah, I remember a few I remember a while back kind of just rewatching Batman and Robin because it was on TV and the two things that happened, like, pretty shortly after each other that made me feel that it was almost meant to be tongue-in-cheek is when uh, Batman's fighting Mr. Freeze at the museum and uh, Robin crashes through the window on his motorcycle and the glass <laughs> shatters behind him in the shape of the Robin <laughs> symbol. <laughs> and I was like, come on, like that can't be meant to be serious. And pretty shortly after it is when uh, Batman and Robin get knocked on their back backs and they uh, click their heels together and ice skates pop out of their uh, shoes and <laughs> start playing like hockey against Mr. Freeze's goons. And those two things happening back to back, I was like, this has to be meant to be tongue in cheek. There's no way they were trying to pass this off as serious. So that's what turned me right there. Yep. No. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny about that whole hockey sequence is if you watch the movie, you notice, so like when Batman and Robin click their heels and the ice skates come out, that's to show they're on ice skates. But if you watch the scene, all of the characters are actually on rollerblades. <laughs> like you notice in every other shot, they're just all rollerblading around, which is pretty funny, actually. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. Uh, no, but now I want to go look. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you'll, you'll get a kick out of it because it's like that one shot, like, OK, they're in ice skates. But every other shot, you're like, nope, everybody's on rollerblades. So I just thought that was funny, too. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, how about this? Do you want to talk about tonight's list, man? Absolutely. Perfect. Um, all right, Ryan, it's list time. It's we're way longer than we should have been. So please <laughs> roll the thing. And now for the top five. Um, we're back. This is your list. Before we go any farther, because Ryan does our edits and I just mentioned him, um, I just wanted to say that Ryan, um, has officially, uh, brought his new child into the world. Well, nice. His wife did <laughs> birthing, obviously, but Ryan was there. Um, <laughs> uh, baby's born. Mom and baby are doing well. Ryan does such a great job with us putting together our, uh, theme songs and, uh, 
getting our sound effects in and, you know, making us sound good and doing all our edits and stuff. Um, this show does not run without him. We couldn't have gotten it started without him. I thank him so much for like helping us out and everything, but ultimately congratulations, man. Welcome to dadhood. Welcome to the club of being a dad. Um, Ryan said that mom and baby are doing great. So, um, everything seems great. So just real happy for you guys. So again, thank you. But at the same time, congratulations. And I hope you guys get well rested and everything and whatnot. So yeah, yeah. I just want to bring that up. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, congrats, Ryan. Um, yeah, this is just awesome to hear. And uh, I'm glad to hear that all, all is well. And um, I haven't physically actually seen Ryan in a long time because he hasn't been like in person recording with us. But uh, I miss you, dude. And uh, yeah, I hope all is well. But glad to hear that the baby's here and uh, healthy and all that. So yeah, that's awesome. Right on. All right, man. Well, Ryan, congrats. Get some rest. Uh, Peter, let's talk about the list. This was your list. So why don't you yep. explain what we're doing? Um, yeah. So, so yeah, this this list was uh, specifically inspired by the movie uh, Halloween Kills, which is the latest uh, iteration of the Halloween franchise. And I thought of this list because I was thinking about how how many times have we thought that Michael Myers was dead at the end of so many different Halloween movies? But he just keeps coming back. And uh, that's really what inspired this list, because I just thought it'd be fun to talk about characters who have died and have came back to life in various franchises and forms of media. And uh, I think this is an interesting topic because this is actually a trope that I'm not really a fan of. Like, for the most part, I actually don't like when characters die and they're brought back to life because I feel like it sometimes cheapens the story overall like it makes things start to feel not as consequential and stuff but sometimes it's done in really cool and interesting ways so i i kind of did it did this list as a challenge to myself to try to think of you know what are some examples of this happening that i actually did enjoy so um i mean this will all get elaborated on as we do our list but do you have any thoughts on this specific topic drew or did you just well, want to jump in I'm I'm la I laughed a little bit there when you said um, I feel like it cheapens the story because I was just thinking to myself like Jesus, <laughs> um, <laughs> which which I honestly like thought which I honestly thought about putting on my list and I was like nope this is fictional characters. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, I really don't like that trope because it cheapens the story. And my brain's like, oh, man. Um, <laughs> so I don't <laughs> I don't necessarily um, think of, like, the Bible, for example, in the same line as, like, I know, pop that's culture I in general. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, there was a point when that was pop culture. Um, at any rate. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, these are fictional characters. Sorry, I had to make the joke because it was just right there, you know. Um <laughs> So, yeah, this is all fictional characters come back to life. I do actually I found this list kind of hard to put together, but I do have two honorable mentions. So, I do as well, actually. Oh, nice. So. OK, big surprise. So <laughs> I have to go first, don't I? Yes. OK, so my first honorable mention is Kenny McCormick. Oh, how did I not think of this? That's so great. <laughs> That's, um, that's there, an awesome pick. I don't know how I didn't think of this one. There is no rhyme or reason for this whatsoever, but every episode of South Park, he dies. Actually, I don't know if they still do that because the show's been on so long, but every yeah. episode he dies and every episode next week he's back. And it's always like, oh, my God, they killed Kenny, you bastard. And, <laughs> and the 
the next few weeks back with no explanation. But I just because of the no explanation and it really has no impact with the story other than somehow Kenny died every episode. Um, that's why he's getting honorable mention as opposed to story impact. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, re- I remember the first so many seasons, it was every single episode they would kill Kenny somehow. And then um, they stopped for a while. And I don't know if they just did it to push the envelope as far as how much violence you could depict on TV and stuff like that. But this is a hilarious this is just a hilarious pick. I don't know. I didn't think of this one, but good call. <laughs> I don't know how you didn't think of this one. I was like, we're totally matching on this one, but I'm putting an honorable mention and it's going to be Peter's actual pick. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anyway, um, what do you, uh, what's your first? Yeah. Honorable so my first honorable mention, I actually went with uh, Groot from the MCU, how, um, he ends up dying at oh, the end God. of the first yeah. guardians of the galaxy to, uh, basically save everybody. But, it's one of those things where um, I think it was Rocket saved like a leaflet or like a little root or something from Groot and was able to to regrow baby Groot. And um, I don't know. I think I'm just a big fan of the Guardians um, movies. I don't know if I feel like the fact that they brought him back to life felt a little bit inconsequential. I think there is an argument to be made there, but. I mean, they brought him back in the most adorable form possible, and everybody loves Baby Groot. So, I mean, you know, no complaints for me. So that's why it makes my first honorable mention. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, I didn't, you know, what's funny is I didn't even think of Groot when I was doing this sh- list. But, hey, that's all right. Like, I wasn't, like, because he's always been there. I wasn't even thinking, oh, yeah, Groot died. He did die. <laughs> um, but it was, it's just a brilliant, that was a brilliant move is to, like, because that's the thing, like, Groot was, like, kind of a surprise character where we all really, really ended up liking the character. And then they killed him. And you're like, wait, what? And, yeah. And the way he was brought back, you're like, well, yeah, of course. That's awesome. You know? So, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so my next honorable mention is Boba Fett, which I feel is a controversy. Wow. Because it's not higher up on the screen, higher up on the list. But the reason Boba Fett is being mentioned is because it's something we all knew as fans. And we just got an all confirmed to where I always was like, yeah, okay." because if you look at just the original trilogy, which is where all of Boba Fett's like fandom comes from, it's six minutes and 32 seconds of screen time. And (laughs) this cultural phenomenon by itself, like outside of the franchise, it's Boba Fett's this perpetual badass. Right. Six minutes and 32 seconds. And it's this massive Star Wars like fandom controversy that's become like arguments over like you know is he the badass he is and all that stuff and it expounded in comics and books and all that nonsense and then you finally get the boba fett show and several things have been confirmed as to how he survived the sarlacc and so on and so on um this is an honorable mention because it's really like i don't think it made the character more interesting um i just think it's really really cool that a lot of our fan ideas have been realized the way we all hoped they would be in a sense like some things are obviously different but ultimately things are realized the way we hoped they would have been so yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely it's kind of funny i almost feel like boba fett like you mentioned and he's only on screen for six minutes in the original trilogy but I think it's kind of funny that it's like there's this collective subconscious force of just so many fans like, no, but I need him to be badass. (laughs) Like I need him to be this awesome character. And it spawned all this uh, 
not just fan fiction, but actual uh, fiction within the Star Wars expanded universe and stuff. And you're right. It is cool to see this character come back. Um, I think there's an argument to be made that Boba Fett didn't technically die and be brought back. But I do I think he fits the list because we all did think he was dead for so well, long. So well, for not 30, a bad pick, for, you know, for 30 years, we thought he was dead. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and you, uh, you can throw uh, any book comic all you want at me in Star Wars, when it comes to Star Wars screen canon, which is ultimately where the real canon is, for 30 years, we thought Boba Fett was dead. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, anyway. Also, with what I just said, like, my list is actually full of cheats and horrible choices, so that'll go on. <laughs> that'll be revealed as we go. <laughs> nice. Like, I feel like this is the worst list I've put together, but it amuses me. But uh, moving into my next honorable mention, sure. speaking of just masked uh, badass characters, I went with uh, Shredder from the ah. original Ninja Turtles movies, because if you remember at the end of the first movie, Shredder falls into the garbage truck and everybody just kind of assumes that he dies, but he comes back in Secret of the Ooze. Like, I think he's a super shredder. <laughs> well, actually, I was going to comment on that because I think it's not until the Secret of the Ooze that we see the shredder's hand pop out from uh, the landfill. You know, like shredder's at the dump and his hand pops out from the garbage and he comes back. So it's like, oh, crap, shredder's alive. But then. At the fight scene at the end of the movie when, you know, Vanilla Ice shows up and it's really weird. But (laughs) there's a moment where it seems like the Turtles defeated Shredder. But then it's revealed that uh, the Shredder actually uh, got the ooze on him himself and becomes, like Drew just mentioned, the Super Shredder. (laughs) So he kind of has like a three-part perceived resurrection, which is I thought was pretty cool. But again, this is one where... He didn't technically die any of those times, so he had to be an honorable mention, you know. <laughs> right, right. Um, all right, so first actual picks of the night, right? Yes. Okay, so the first pick for the night is, um, I'm going to go real old school on you. This is Frank Bannister uh, from the movie The Frighteners. Oh, okay, I haven't seen this one, this movie, to be honest. I always wanted to, but... Yeah, keep going. Um, all right. Well, The Frighteners is about a character by the name of Michael J. Fox. Well, played by Michael J. Fox. <laughs> it's Frank Bannister, played by Michael J. Fox. And he okay. is, um, he's like, I guess you could call him like a Ghostbuster, but it's all fake. Like, he's, he's, he's being haunted by these, like, three ghosts that live in his house. And he's using them to make money. So he sends one of the ghosts out, starts haunting this lady's house. And he's like the spiritual guy that comes over and clears the house of ghosts. And then she pays him. So he's, it's all like a farce, right? But for some reason, he's one of those guys who can see and hear dead people. And Mm -hmm. he gets roped up on the idea that the serial killer is like executed. And then the ghost is like coming back and trying to murder these people for real. And because of what he because of his so-called profession, he gets roped into the story. This is very, very early Peter Jackson um, storytelling. And mm-hmm. um, the movie is really, really quirky. It's really funny. It looks on the surface. It looks like a horror film, but it's not. It's a dark comedy, like funny movie. Like it's it's like kind of Ghostbusters, except no tech. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And uh, the. The um the special effects are very Ghostbusters special effects. They all look practical, that kind of thing. But Frank Bannister as a character 
he gets like buried alive. He gets strangled to death. He like <laughs> he for some reason just can't seem to die um, in the movie. And I always thought that was really funny. Um, it, it's all story built into the movie. So if you go watch it, I mean, you'll see what I'm talking about. But it's always one of those things you're like, dude, he totally is dead. And then he's not. And then like, oh, man, he just got strangled <laughs> to death. And oh, he's not. You know what I mean? So <laughs> nice. Um, he's just a character that you can't he just can't stay down. Um, so that's why you made my list, but I haven't seen the Frighteners in a really long time, but it's, uh, it's definitely a movie I recommend. So awesome. Yeah, this is a, uh, yeah, this movie I wanted to see just from getting into, um, kind of Peter Jackson's back catalog, but I just never had the time to hunt down this one, but, uh, I'm yeah, surprised, you're I'm surprised you ever saw it because I watched it multiple times, um, at our parents' house back when you and I were huh. still living at mom and dad's house. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've actually watched this one for whatever reason, so. <laughs> All right. Well, what's your first actual pick of the night, then? So, um, my first actual pick is totally a cheat. It's it's absolutely a cheat in every way, but it's... What? No, no. <laughs> but it's, it's too good that it had to make my list. <laughs> and uh, the choice I went with is Landfill from Beer Fest. <laughs> <laughs> if you remember because the character landfill ends up drowning in a uh, vat of uh, beer that they're brewing and uh, at his funeral randomly his twin brother <laughs> like his long lost twin brother shows up and uh, basically just takes landfill's place where the characters you know are like well what should we call you and he's just like well, you should call me landfill too and stuff. And it's just kind of, it plays off the trope of somebody dying and being brought back to life because it's in, it's this moment in the film when you have the, the main group of characters who are all training as this, uh, you know, drinking game team for, for uh, beer fest. And they just lost, you know, one of their pivotal members of their group. And it's kind of this moment where it's like, what are we even going to do? And then just magically he has a twin <laughs> brother that shows up who can just fill the void. And I just love, it's just too funny. Like uh, if you watch that movie, like that whole sequence is just too hilarious. And like I said, this is a cheat because the character dies and he doesn't come back to life, but he's essentially just replaced by the same actor, just playing a different version of the same character and it's just way too funny. I had to mention it. So there you go. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I haven't seen beer fest in a really long time. So I <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> it's on Hulu. If you want to watch it, I actually watched it All a right. few months ago. So All right, it I'll, holds up at least for me. I think, uh, um, Club Dread is the only Broken Lizard movie that doesn't really hold up, but I also haven't seen Club Dread in a while either, so. Interesting. Uh, anyway, all right, so my next pick is Jon Snow. Oh, um, great. This, uh, did we match on this? No, we, we didn't, okay. but I think it was, this is a great it was the way you said It was the way you said, oh, great, made me wonder if we. <laughs> no, uh, he made my short list and was a heavy contender. What's um, so I definitely think this is a great pick. What's interesting about Jon Snow is... When, if you read the novels, the last thing you get to read is Jon Snow's death, and we're all still waiting for those other novels. Yep. So when we got to the show, and Jon Snow died at the end of that season, I had lots of friends who knew I read the books that turned and said, oh my gosh, what the heck? And I'm like, <laughs> they're like looking to me for answers, and I'm like, 
guys, that's where the books stop. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. Um, But then it was also fun because people who, so when I finally got to the end of the show and then I had friends that were watching it for the first time when the show was finally over, you'd get, I'd get text messages from people like, they just killed Jon Snow. I'm never watching the show again. This is absolute horseshit, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, keep watching. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fire up that next episode, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you could just stop there. Like, I even, know. I don't know. <laughs> but it did, it was, a, it was a turning point for the character. It was a very pivotal point for that moment. Uh, Jon Snow coming back um, then allowed him to go and, like, fight Ramsay and all that stuff. And, you know, it was really interesting because you got to those conversations of... You know, I like that scene when Daenerys, when he finally gets to meet Daenerys and Masandi's um, like Daenerys, Mother of Dragons, Breaker of Change, blah blah blah, going through all the titles, and Davos goes, "This is Jon Snow." Because <laughs> Davos is like, "I don't have any titles for him," and Jon Snow is humble enough to go, "I'm not going to tell this girl that all the shit that I've been through because it's completely irrelevant." And then she finds out that he like died for what he believes in and actually came back to life and all this stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, it's all predicated on Beric Dondarrion earlier in the movie when you learn about the Lord of Light and all that stuff. But jumping to Jon Snow is such an important part of that story. Do you know what I mean? So I just John, that was a huge one. So I was like, there's no way I can't talk about Jon Snow when we were discussing this. So. No, absolutely. This is a great pick. And I actually like um, that you're kind of pointing out the. Um, the impact that this death and resurrection has on the, uh, the game of Thrones, uh, shows plot overall. Like, I think it's really great. And this actually kind of segues into my, uh, my next pick actually, because I went with another game of Thrones pick, but I actually went with, uh, Khal Drogo. And the reason why I went with, uh, Khal Drogo over Jon Snow is I think that, Call Drogo's uh, death and then uh, resurrection, um, you know, when Daenerys gets um, the sort of, uh, 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 why am I forgetting the, uh, <laughs> well, when she gets the, the, when she gets like the witches to kind of bring him back, um, I just, uh, Dothraki, that's the word oh. I was looking for. <laughs> she like brings but, uh, him back, but he's like a vegetable basically. Yeah, ex- exactly. He's a hollow shell of uh, what he once was. And this is a, I've seen other movies and shows do this, but I always love the concept of like, once someone dies, they're gone. And when you try to bring them back, they're not going to be the same sort of creature they were before. And I just, I think Game of Thrones did that so well. And it was like, it was kind of a cool um, moment for Daenerys too, like her learning, like, no, I have to actually learn to deal with this loss. And then to see her kind of have that turning point where she, it kind of made her kind of take charge of the um, remnants of the Dothraki that she could and stuff. And I just, I just think it's a cool moment. And I think because it happened so early in the game of Thrones series, it's maybe overshadowed by later events, but uh, no, I just think the way Khal Drogo's uh, death played out was just really kind of spot on if that makes sense so yeah totally um yeah i didn't even think about Khal drogo because i never really counted him as dead until like Daenerys like burned him if you know what i mean but yeah absolutely uh, um okay uh my next one we'll stay with the uh fantasy stuff for a minute and go <laughs> I thought with, you're gonna say um, game of thrones <laughs> uh, we'll just stay with the fantasy realm and i'm gonna go with gandalf from lord of the rings okay um this is 
this one came to mind because I feel like when it comes to fictional characters, um, for people who read the Lord of the Rings, this is one of the first characters coming back to life moments that I think many of us experienced. Um, when he falls at the fate of the Balrog and you're just like, oh man, Gandalf's dead, what the heck? And then you go into the two towers and you meet Gandalf the White because he has been brought back, he's been resurrected to succeed where Sauron has, Saruman has failed. And yeah. it's such, it's it's kind of a cool pivotal moment that just has been echoed throughout storytelling in general. Um, and you see it in several other properties. Uh, but Gandalf the Gandalf the Grey to Gandalf the White, it's a huge, huge moment, um, and that's why I like that's why I grabbed it. Mostly because I feel like it's it's several of our firsts, if you will, experience yeah, w- something like this. So I would definitely agree with that. Um, I I know that Drew, I know that you read um, the Lord of the Rings books before seeing the uh, films, and I wonder if that changes your opinion on this because. I remember watching, um, like, I I watched the films before I read any of the books. Like, I kind of, I was one of those people who had read The Hobbits and then just, or had read The Hobbit and then just jumped into the Lord of the Rings films. Um, So I honestly thought that Gandalf's resurrection was a little bit weird, but I was also, I think, in, like, middle school, (laughs) I first witnessed it on screen. Um, And I kind of wonder if the book plays it out a little differently. I just... For some reason, it felt really abrupt and weird when I saw it. And I don't know if that's just me, though, but I do think this is a really good one. And I actually think it's kind of cool. It almost portrays like this concept of like Gandalf fighting the Balrog and uh, during their fight, they descend into like the bowels of hell. And I I think there's like kind of this really adventure story aspect to how like that's depicted that's really cool like it's kind of like they depict the journey into the afterlife as like this crazy adventure fight scene thing that i always thought was kind of really a cool way to depict that if that makes sense so this one made my short list i think it's really good i think just the first time i saw it it just felt really weird and unexpected to me for whatever reason but it probably was more of a time and place thing for (laughs) just where i was at at the age i was when i saw the movie to answer your question, I don't know if I felt the movies handled it better or the books handled it better. And I, and I only say that because I really feel that um, I feel like they I had because I hadn't I didn't like, ooh, Lord of the Rings is coming out. Let's reread the novels. Yeah, uh, I kind of. Yeah, because I know you read the novels like years before the movies came out. Right. So I don't know how fresh it was in my mind because it was like Gandalf was back on screen. You're like, yeah, that's what happens. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I don't know if the impact was different either way, but I do remember the impact being different of, oh, hey, Gandalf's back. Do you know what I mean? Like, so right on. just in terms of experiencing a character being brought back to life. Anyway. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. What's your third number three for the day? Yeah. So my number three is um, it's kind of a cheat, but I feel like it's kind of not um, because I went with uh, General Zod and specifically the sort of Snyder verse DCEU version of General Zod, who Superman kills at the end of Man of Steel. But in Batman v Superman, um, Lex Luthor brings him back as a uh, sort of reincarnated form of doomsday. And uh, I just like I said, I don't know if this one counts because it's kind of just using General Zod's 
flesh to recreate this, uh, you know, this ancient desecration known as doomsday. But yeah. I think that, uh, I, so like, like I said, I don't know if this is considered a cheat, but I just think it's a badass <laughs> storyline. And I think it was a really cool way to handle the, uh, creation of that version of doomsday and stuff in that movie. And, uh, I don't know. I love man of steel and Batman V Superman. So <laughs> Um, I don't want to go on and on about it because I know I have on the podcast before. So no, and I we've talked about this enough, but I totally agree with you in terms of like a smart way of handling that for the sake of trying to do the death of Superman on screen. In a Absolutely. Because we've how many times have we wanted to see that on screen? I'm uh, just being fans of that universe like that's been like the fan dream since they said they were making superman movies and you're just like when's it gonna happen when's it gonna happen and they finally try and do it um i mean yeah there's the criticism that maybe they try to do too much in the movie but that aside i think they handled it really well for what they were trying to do so and i think uh, drew i think you and i have read enough like superman comic like specific comics that I remember watching the movie and realizing kind of before they had the big doomsday reveal what Lex Luthor was doing. And I was just like, oh, that's such a cool way to handle that. And I feel like a lot of people who aren't maybe as familiar with Doomsday's origin and stuff weren't as enticed. Like they kind of didn't understand how cool of a choice it was, yeah. if that makes and that's, sense. And that's why Batman versus Superman is the Blade Runner of superhero movies. <laughs> if you are not if you don't get it, you're never going to get it. Um, right. <laughs> so. Um, Good call. All right. So my next one for the night is I'm going back to Star Wars and we're doing Darth Maul. Um, oh, right on. Yeah, this is a good call. One of the reasons this makes my list and uh, kind of high up on my list, in my opinion, is when Darth Maul appeared on screen, we all thought like, wow, this guy's awesome. And then at the end of episode one, Darth Maul dies. And you're just like, oh, OK. thought he was going to stick around a little while longer. But they also cut him in half. And this is after the Boba Fett controversy of dealing with, is Boba Fett alive or dead that he crawled out of the Sarlacc pit? No, there's no way Darth Maul survives being cut in half and then thrown down a large pit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was George's decision to do that. And then you think to yourself, all right, so we cut him in half and threw him down a pit. There's no way he can survive. And it makes me think about Han Solo. We stab him in the chest with a lightsaber. We toss him down a pit and then we blow the planet up that he's on. There's no way Han Solo's coming back. <laughs> Um, um, but when we think about just Darth Maul, he gets cut in half, thrown down a pit, and then George Lucas, years later, his idea to bring Darth Maul back into the Clone Wars. And I'm going to tell you this. First off, brilliant decision. Brilliant execution in terms of bringing him back, using the – he basically had to manifest the force to create legs that were – I mean, they were very spider-like, but if you look at the animation – He's not even like completely whole because everything's still kind of like floating and not completely connected. Yeah, um, that that really impressed me when I saw the animation. I'm like, dude, he's not even completely there. It's like he's holding. He's, it's all cobbled together by using the force. Um, and then he goes through the whole thing with the Night Sisters. They give him real robotic legs, but his character goes on this like immense journey to like get revenge on the fact that he died, go after Palpatine, become the apprentice again. Because ultimately, even though he wants revenge against Palpatine, he's still trying to be the apprentice because he should be the apprentice. He's not just the tool that Palpatine looked at him as. 
And it went on this legit emotional journey for the character through the Siege of Mandalore. And, you know, I was so it's such a brilliant layout of the character. And it made him one of, in my opinion, the most interesting characters within the Star Wars universe. Absolutely. Post death. And it's such a brilliant play with Darth Maul. Um, and then, you know, I'd be watching the Clone Wars and you'd see the preview for the next episode, the preview for the next story arc. And they're like, they're talking about Darth Maul and you're like, yes, this is going to be amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I'm so this is really goofy and I've never done this on the podcast, but there's a first time for everything. And I'm going to retroactively change my <laughs> list and say Darth Maul's my next pick, too. <laughs> And, but the thing is, this actually works, and I'm going to explain why when we get to my last pick, because my last two were kind of huge cheats, and this actually works perfectly. And I didn't think of Darth Maul. I don't know why, but this is such a good pick. And I remember, like, I'm not a huge, like, like, I haven't watched every episode of The Clone Wars, but I remember when it was revealed, not even that Darth Maul was coming back, when they started doing the Savage Press stuff, I was like, all right, I got to start watching this show. This looks badass. And I actually had no idea that a few episodes later, Darth Maul was going to come back and in such a badass way. And I always loved the, um, the, the, the conceptual aspects behind Darth Maul being literally cut in half. And it was only through his own hatred that he was able to use the dark, dark side of the force to keep himself alive. And as you were mentioning, when he shows up and the bottom half of his body is like this metallic, like makeshift spider shape. And it was just such a cool personification of that rage that he had been feeling for so long. It was just, it's just such a cool character arc and you went in super detail about it. So I don't want to, retread all that i just think it's a conceptually there's so many cool things and darth maul is one of my absolute favorite star wars characters and yeah this is just a great call so i'm retroactively changing my list and darth maul is my next pick (laughs) um you know what within as many less episodes as we've done this is the first time this moment has ever happened (laughs) yes (laughs) um when i i do i am curious and we can talk offline but i am curious as to what the uh what the pick you removed was <laughs> no i'm gonna i'm gonna explain it in a couple minutes and you're gonna laugh <laughs> so all right um all right so my final pick of the night is superman oh awesome we matched on this one I, was, I was gonna say i had a feeling we matched <laughs> on this one we've talked about the death of superman at nauseum we've talked about the resurrection and return of super the world without superman the death and re- the, re- the resurrection i mean of superman and like his return with all the super like the, the five different supermans and who's the real one and all that nonsense um we've talked about that a lot whether it be the comics the movies the cartoons that kind of thing what i will say about this and the reason this holds this is the reason i saved this one for the end is because of the emotional weight reading the book Now, Mm -hmm. when the comic came out in the 90s and they did the death of Superman, I read it and it was fun. And like, dude, that was an awesome battle, that kind of thing. But I was also like in junior high, junior high, early high school. I read that book later as an adult and rereading it as an adult, the severe emotional weight of the death of Superman was way more than I realized when I was a kid. To me, it was just Superman battling a bad guy and Superman lose. This was a massive emotional thing when I read it as an adult. And it was and I like I got it in a way I never thought I that I never imagined I'd get it. And it re 
And not that it reignited my passion for comics, but it reignited my passion to go back and look at old stuff that I took for granted. And it made me want to reread a whole bunch of old things. And I started like, nice. yeah, keeping up with new stuff, but it made me go back and look at other stuff like, wow, I totally missed out or I totally didn't get that. I totally understand now. It's that it's that thing where uh, in the never ending story to when the kid wants to reread the book and the guy says, have you ever reread a, have you ever read a book twice before? And the kid's like, no. And he's like, it's never the same the second time. And <laughs> Absolutely. it's so true, but it's, it was such an emotional book that I just didn't get. And I get it now as an adult. And it's such, it's so amazing, but that's the reason, like, I don't want to go too much farther into it. Superman battles doomsday and he dies. You know what I mean? And yes, he comes back to life. Yes, he comes back to yeah. life. Comics handle it beautifully. The movie handles it really well when you look at the Batman vs Superman to the Snyder Cut. But my point is, it was so emotional to read through as an adult, and that's why it's making such a high point here. So you're the bigger Superman fan, you can go. But that's the reason I chose Superman. So yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about this subject matter in general a lot, but uh, talking about like the comic book version of these events specifically. The death of Superman, like if you read like a trade paperback volume of it, you watch Doomsday land on Earth and go like rampaging through multiple cities and fighting the Justice League and all these different characters. And eventually it all culminates in a battle against Superman in uh, downtown Metropolis. And uh, that last issue that depicts Superman fighting Doomsday to the death, um, I'm... uh, Sorry, I was uh, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm fumbling over my words, but Dan Jurgen uh, illustrated that last issue and he, he did a really smart thing where the entire comic book is all splash pages. Like every single page is a full splash page or a double page spread. There's not. Well, well, it builds to it. It's like it starts out small. And as the battle like increases and gets more intense and more intense, the picture, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And yeah. Bigger. Well, it's like like you said, like the last handful of pages, it's like the last maybe 20 pages is just splashing. Yep. And, yeah. th- and that's that's the thing is it's uh, it's this. It, yeah, it's like every there's like no panels. It's like every page just shows a different moment of the battle. But what's kind of genius about it is like that specific issue with all the pa- uh, splash pages. That's the death of Superman issue that everybody bought. And I don't know if this was on purpose, but. There's a lot of people I encounter who don't like comics because they can't like they say they don't know how to read them, which I always think is weird because I'm just like, well, it's just intuitive. Like (laughs) you should just be able to use your intuition and be able to read it. And if you don't know in order to read the panels, that means the artist (laughs) kind of failed there. Uh, What were you saying? I agree with you when people say that. I'm like, really? How do you not know how to read a comic? There's also the argument of when you look at a comic strip in a newspaper, like you know how to read Garfield. It's no different. It's just more panels. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, but but thinking of people who do say that, it's kind of cool that like this book was bought by so many people. And I'm sure a lot of them weren't regular comic book readers. But Dan Jurgens was smart enough to depict the artwork in a way that whether you're a comic fan or not, you'd be able to digest the story and you'd be able to look at all those splash pages and really appreciate what was going on. And it's kind of, there's, that's kind of a beautiful thing. Like I've, I've honestly never really thought about that until now, but it's kind of a really beautiful way to bring that story to the populace, if you will. Um, No, I mean the death 
the I guess the death of Superman and then going into his return with the reign of the Superman and all that is one of my favorite just kind of big comic story arcs of all time. Um, so Superman definitely had to make my list. I'm a huge Superman fan. So, of course, this was the top of my list. Um, yeah, the reason I why figured, I said I figured you and I were matching on that one. Guaranteed. <laughs> the, re- the reason why I said this list was the worst one I ever made. Oh, is because my number two pick was going to be the live action Henry Cavill Superman. <laughs> and my number one pick was going to be the comic book version of Superman. <laughs> and that's why that's and why I, I was. huh? And then I said Darth Maul and you went crap. <laughs> no, I, you said Darth Maul and like, OK, that's actually better. I'm going to combine those last two picks into one. Um and the thing is, if you said that was a cheat, I was just going to move Groot to be on my final list. But uh, was no, Darth I think all on your short list, at least. Or did you completely forget about it? I completely forgot about Darth Maul. I don't know. I don't know why that was. I guess I just haven't thought about Darth Maul in a little while. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's funny. Um, uh, well, nice. OK, um, yeah. well, that brings us to the end of the list. Would you like to know what we're going to do next week? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I've been sitting on this for a very, very long time, long enough that I had to go back and make sure we didn't talk about it. <laughs> nice. Um, I'm like, I swear we've talked about this before, but I am a massive fan of animation, and I have been for a very, very long time. I know you are. I know you like cartoons, and being two adults that like cartoons, um, but then we talk about a show like Vox Machina tonight. Um, it made me... Um, realize, and my big rant about using the Master Chief's voice, um, proper voice, that is, um, I want to talk about our favorite voice actors. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I knew where you I started to see where you were going, but this is going to be a really fun list. Yeah, so our favorite voice actors, I guess you could pull them and say James Earl Jones from uh, um, Star Wars for the sake of Darth Vader, but my brain was thinking animation, um, just because... Um, I've actually been watching a lot of cartoons lately. I've realized whether it be anime or not, but I've been like, I've been watching them like, and really enjoying the voice acting aspect and like, Oh, he did that. Cool. I got to go watch Mm -hmm. that show or, Oh, she's in that. And you go play that video game or, you know what I mean? And so it's made me really like, and I got really into voice acting a long time ago, like not voice acting, like I'm doing voice acting, but like kind of like, Ooh, who's in what and watching certain things. And then I pulled away from it a little while. And lately I've been watching a lot of cartoons. That's uh, awesome. Like I haven't been talking about them on the podcast, but I've been watching a lot of cartoons. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> I feel like I've been doing that a lot lately and I'm like, let's talk about voice actors and some of our favorites. Cause I got a lot to say about that. And there's some really good ones out there and people <laughs> should like really pay attention to their work because it's incredible. Um, this is, this is a really fun list. This is one where, I don't know a lot of voice actors names off the top of my head, but I know the voices of characters that I love. And uh, right this is going to be a fun one to put together. And there's so many different places you can go. You yeah, know, I there's so many different. I think it's going to be a hard one, too. So, yeah, um, this one is going to guarantee make my list. Um, other than that. Yeah, let's see what we got. So, but anyway, um, so we're going to toss this episode in the can. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Well, everyone, do us a favor and check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Hit us up on our social media. Either way works. Um, We're on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. 
Uh, you, can, you can subscribe to us in those places. Um, if you do, you will not miss a single episode. Uh, you can also leave us a review. We love those five stars because it makes us, um, because it makes us, uh, <laughs> talk about me messing up the way we love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it makes us, uh, get better. And it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at drew three, nine, two, seven. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I'll be reminding you that Landfill 2 is twice the man that Landfill 1 one ever was. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. (laughs) For the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.